it's really easy to overestimate what you can do a day, but underestimate what you can do in a year. And so the small habits of daily reading, daily writing, daily devotion, daily conversation, like I work with a team where we're doing theological conversation two or three times a day, not a month. It, it is invaluable. If I was just doing the executive responsibilities or kind of the oversight of the church related to some of the stuff that I have to do, it would be training for me. It is the it is the theological infusion that God has provided for us at TBC and the conversations and the colleagues that I get to do ministry with who are interested in these things also that allow me to keep going and do the other things. Hey, everybody. Today on the show, we have part two of our conversation with Pastor J.T. English. JT is the Institute Pastor at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to part one of our conversation, I encourage you to go back and give that a listen, Uh, just our immediately uh, previous episode to this one. Uh, But we're going to go ahead and get right back into our conversation where we left off in that episode on theological education and the local church. Let's geek out for a minute here on your PhD research. Sure, yeah. How did you like that? Was it helpful? Was it useful? Did you do it as a means to an end or was it an end in itself? What, talk, talk, just lay out the facts yeah, of yeah, your yeah. PhD work, those are, research and writing. Those are great and then, questions. And then the meaning and significance of it for you. Yeah. Uh, that time, maybe even more than just the dissertation, was one of the most meaningful times of my life, just in terms of the work shapes you a certain kind of way, much yes. more than just the, the conclusions that you come to. Can we just underscore that for a second for listeners? That's one of the things I, I want to share too is and share with folks regularly when they ask, should I do a PhD? And one of the things I say is, is the work shapes you. Mm-hmm. It, it cultivates habits of mind and character that are invaluable, that are hard to get without the rigors no doubt. and the paces and the, and the enculturation of a PhD program. That's exactly right. I could not do my job now in the church without those habits of mind and the virtues Great. that were cultivated. Yeah. There, so that's, that's why I'm probably preeminently grateful for that experience more than the actual degree. It was just yep. what was cultivated. So in it wasn't about the credential. Per no, se. not yeah, so much. Yeah. Honestly, and you didn't need this calling card because you were going to go. You wanted to go. I teach. want to be a pastor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if I'm honest, this might sound weird to say. I never really considered myself an academic. I have mm. lots of my friends who are who are very well, and it's not because I don't want to be one. I just never really have understood that as part of myself. And why is that, JT? What's, what is, what is it know, about your personality, the way you're I wired, the way you approach the world? What is that? So like before, so I've, I shared my childhood background. I didn't care about school. Right. Uh, I got into college like on sports probation. Kid, sports like I just, it was all about just get the job, like just pass. I just didn't really care about middle school, high school, even college until I got saved. And then the Lord birthed me, not a love for for the academy, but for theology in particular. Yeah. And so I became a, and the life of the mind just the all of, of a sudden mind, yes. turns it just, on boom. It just exploded. Yeah. So I loved the PhD. I wrote uh, uh, on the, the – it's funny. I forget the exact title. It was uh, – <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. most people forget the exact title. That's right. It was, it was Thus Says the Lord, a Trinitarian Account of Biblical Authority. At the time I was writing – there was conversations around different models of Trinitarianism related to eternal functional subordinationism or pro-Nicene theologies of Trinitarianism. I find myself on kind of the pro-Nicene classical model of Trinitarianism. I was wondering what accounts within evangelicalism may have suffered as it relates to God's divine speech acts that have adopted nice. uh, kind of functional models of Trinitarianism. Yeah. So ultimately I looked at six different evangelical accounts for biblical authority and highlighted where if they – either uh, explicitly or implicitly adopted a more pro-Nicene account of God's triune communication, we would have a stronger account of biblical authority. So Greg Allison was a part, he was my my primary reader. 
another reader was Steve Wellam and then Eric mm-hmm. Johnson, who's here for us with this symposium, was my third Marvelous. reader. And then Kevin Van Hooser was my external reader and just had a, a wonderful experience. I did it fairly quick. I was only there for about three and a half years, but it was a, a time of my life I'll, I'll always cherish. Southern Marvelous. has a great PhD program. I know that there's several guys here in the symposium who've done their work there and just could not speak more highly about that experience. Fantastic, fantastic. Do you, have you stayed up to speed with not with even close Trinity? I know, I know, a lot of aspiring pastor theologians listening to this yeah. or practicing pastor theologians yeah. will will resonate with the yeah. not even close comment, right, right. right? Because it's hard to do. And and may I say this? And this might be out of school, JT, because I don't know you super well, but you strike me as someone who's who's obviously very bright, thoughtful, but you have a, a how should I put it, a bent toward action mm-hmm. that strikes me. And, yeah. and, and I would assume, given what you're doing now, strong leadership gifts. Mm-hmm. And so you're probably going to kind of default in those directions. And, and move toward if there's something to be done, by golly, you're going to do it. That's and right. Get on with it. That's for right. For the sake of the kingdom and the ministry and, That's and right. so on and so forth. So that tension, uh, I think many pastor theologians and pastors more broadly live with that tension. Just can you— I uh, resemble that comment, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just, yeah. Yes. There was a conversation— that for a minute and help us understand, like, the tension of the pastor theologian, the, the life of the mind, scholarship that you value, but you also know, like, Dang, it takes a lot of time to stay sharp on Hebrew. It really for does. Example. It really I mean, does. Give me a break. And know? and I mean, I this and is, the ministry is always calling and oh, clamoring for your attention. People are your hurting. Labors there's and, people who are suffering. They, there's people who need to be equipped. There's people, I mean, it's just. So how do you how, how do you how, how I, have you worked I, out that tension? How do you I'm live working with it out now. You okay. know, I think it's one of those things that that you're just um, constantly living. And as somebody who's aspiring to be a pastor, theologian. I um, I serve on the executive team at TVC, which means that it's not just that I'm doing my ministry. I'm helping kind of oversee yes. the ministry of the Village yes. Church now. With um, all of the pastoral burdens and mm-hmm. complexity, yeah. organizational Weddings complexities and, and leadership dilemmas. And, yeah, challenges. I yes. mean, at being a mega church, there's, there's some massive opportunities that we have, which we'll get to talk about with the Institute. There's also burdens related to that, just of running a big organization yes. with as many people that we have. And so Matt will be the first to tell you, he was always hoping the village would be about three or 400 people. He just has a, a gift when he preaches, people come, you know, and yes. so he's just kind of, he almost considers it a burden or a thorn yeah. in his side. I mean, he loves it. Don't yeah, get yeah, me wrong. No. Way, no, but sure, it's, just, sure. it's, it's something that it in, complicates life. in romanticism, you're like, I wish I was in the country, you know, pastoring a small little church. Um, but there, and there was a conversation that I followed last year with some of it was around the CPT and around some of the books yeah. you guys have written of like, yes. how do you do this? Yes, yes, yes. And I, I was, and there was some skepticism expressed. Right. And, but <laughs> and but here, here's the thing. I don't know how, but I want to give my life to trying to figure it there out. There we go. Well, that's good. Uh, and so I, and this is some of the categories you guys provide in the book. There's ecclesial theologians, academic theologians. And yes. I'm not sure. I know that I'm not called to be an academic theologian, at yeah. least in this season my life, but I am called uh, to try to infuse as best as I can theology in the context of the church now, which is why, and Jonathan Pennington gave me this cat. He was another professor at Southern. That yeah, was he's really a great guy. meaningful to me. We've developed a really close, he does a lot of the work for us in the Institute. Yes, he okay, comes right, and teaches right, a lot yeah, for yeah, us. Yeah. He said something just a few weeks ago when he was with us. He said, um, one of the things that's so beneficial about doing a PhD or even an MDiv before you jump into ministry is you get to dig a deep well that you get to go back to for the rest of your yes, life. Absolutely. Uh, and I... I could not do my job if I had not dug a deep well yeah. because I don't have time to dig a well right now. Yeah. I just don't. 
I mean, I'm, I'm trying to not cultivate only dig as much a well, as I can. But you know, not only that you have dug a well, yes. but you know how to dig a well. And to, you so can dig another well. It will happen again. <laughs> so there's speak. no doubt. I, got, I have the tools to do yes. it. Then there are seasons where you're just not digging. You just need to go get water from the well that you dug. Living with the tensions. Give us a little insight into how you try to maintain the tensions because on the leadership responsibilities, administrative oversight side of things, mm-hmm. I would imagine that's always coming at you fast and furious. Right. What sorts of habits, practices, commitments do you have in place to continue thinking theologically? This is one of the points. And that, that, studying, research, writing, yeah. nourishing your own soul and mind That's and heart. Right. And this, what are some of those things that one of you've the, done or are doing? One of the things you mentioned earlier is the habits that are cultivated in a PhD stick with you. Mm-hmm. One of the habits I had was every day, 500 to 1,000 words on the dissertation, no matter if it's good or bad. If it's bad, delete it the next morning. Like just mm-hmm. write. You just have got to put words to, yes. words to paper. Uh, I've not done that exact habit, but I have developed habits of theological reading every single day. Marvelous. I just uh, So this year I'm reading Bovink's Reform Dogmatics. Yeah, I was going to ask, how do you pick what you read? Yeah, so Bovink is one of my old kind of uh, – uh, I'm not sure. Uh, James K. Homeboys, Smith has a I word. I'll call him a homeboy. Uh, I just love him. I could just go back to when I when I'm reading Herman Bovink. It feels like a warm blanket to my soul. I just love. I just love <laughs> reading Herman Bovink. We're gonna right? tweet that out <laughs> by it. the way. And warm uh, it's actually on my Twitter our, profile. Well, oh, no, <laughs> we're, we're gonna tweet that out. But one podcast. of our fellows, uh, Gray Sutanto, did his did his PhD work on that. Fantastic. In so I did not I did not spend any time on my dissertation on Bovink. I just enjoy him almost Marvelous. like at a devotional level. And I, it had been about uh, maybe six or seven years since I'd spent some time in him. So this year I decided I'm just going to work through the dogmatics over the course of the year. I developed a reading plan and I just – it's kind of a weekly. This is where I need to be at the end of each week, 52 weeks. And it's just been – back to that PhD habit, it just cultivates maybe – maybe another way to say it is it's really easy to overestimate what you can do a day but underestimate what you can do in a year. Yes. And so the small habits <clears throat> of daily reading, daily writing, daily devotion, daily conversation – like I work with a team – where we're doing theological conversation so important, two it? or three times a, a day, not a so month. Important. It, it is invaluable. I would, if I was just doing the executive responsibilities or kind of the oversight of the church related to some of the stuff that I have to do, it would be training for Start me. Start to shrivel on the vine. Yeah, this is the, it is the, it is the theological infusion that God has provided for us at TBC and the conversations and the colleagues that I get to do ministry with mm. who are interested in these things also that allow me to keep going and do the other things. Hey, everybody, just a quick plug for our annual theology conference. We are are hosting right outside Chicago this coming October, the 14th to the 16th. The Pastor Theologians Conference hosted by the CPT is a really unique event where we bring together pastors as well as academic theologians, scientists, and other ministry professionals to talk about topics that are especially relevant to the needs and concerns of ministry in the local church. This year, uh, our topic for the conference is a Christian vision of technology, and we're really looking forward to the conversations we're going to be having about uh, multi-site church, artificial intelligence, social media, uh, data privacy, all sorts of things as they relate to human identity and theological formation. So if you're interested, feel free to check out our conference website at cptconference.com, where you can find out more information as well as a list of speakers, and you can register right there on the website as well. All right, let's get right back into our conversation with JT English on theological education in the local church. Talk to us about, uh, I don't mean this to be a self-serving question, but talk to us about how you 
connected with the CPT yeah. vision and and the vision of the pastor theologian, which the banner we've been trying to wave for the last ten plus years, Absolutely. and 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 kind of just articulate it in your own words for for listeners who are familiar with the Center for Pastor Theologians and and generally with the idea of the pastor theologian, but how it sort of it captured your imagination. I forget how I came across it the first time, but I saw a video that you guys did, mm-hmm. and I was in a church history two class on Jonathan Edwards with John Hanna. And he was talking nice. about and he was talking about the log college and he's talking about this ancient vision that uh, that the early American Christian or or, or uh, New England Christians had for for theology in the life of the church and training up uh, an educated uh, clergy and training up an educated congregation. I just thought that's incredible. And then I saw the video like that week and I was like, "There's actually somebody doing it with an wow. evangelicalism." Because my experience in kind of Big Ten evangelicalism was anti intellectual, anti theological, very pragmatic. Uh, just kind of giving itself over to uh, unintentionally mer- uh, moral therapeutic deism. So all that Christian Smith yes, research coming yes, out, I just yes. said that uh, that is the vision, a vision I can get behind. I never thought I'd be here having a conversation with y'all, but but the vision that you set forward was something that I I grasped on, regardless of whether I would or would not be a part of something that you guys are doing so here. Great. And so uh, I went and did my PhD and just kind of kept up with what you guys were doing. Came to a conference. And just have loved everything that you guys are doing. And I, I, I think the thing that I love about, about the vision here is your commitment to its scalability in any pastoral context. Mm, talk about that a little bit. So here I am serving at a church, uh, the village right now, our membership, I mean, I guess attendance is about, I don't know, 11,000 people or so. It's a mega church. And here we are, we're trying to, in, in, in our own way with our DNA, buy into this vision of theology being valuable in the context of the local church. Mm. While at the same time, uh, my pastor who had that initial conversation with me about you need to go to seminary, Mm. I've sent him these videos and he loves it. He's like, I want to be thinking about how to do that. And so, so to be a pastor theologian isn't, you don't need to have a specific context. You could do it whether you're pastoring five or six people or five or 6,000 people. It's not what we're doing. It's more a way of being. And I think that's what I've got more here from the CPT more than anything else. The diversity of the fellows, the diversity of the speakers that you bring in for conferences, you're cultivating an imagination among evangelicals. And that's ultimately what what we're trying to do in the Institute. We're not reinventing the wheel as it relates mm. to discipleship, but rather yes. just recapitulating and resourcing retrieving, from, really. retrieving from an early Christian tradition what other Christians simply took for granted, that their pastors would be theologians. Fantastic. Tell us about the Institute. So you're at the Institute. You've been there for five years. Yeah. So I've been there. Uh, this, this is what I do. I'm the pastor of, of the Village Church Institute, and we oversee basically all adult spiritual formation and discipleship at the Village Church. The Village Church seven years and you use, ago. By the way, you use the language of spiritual formation with discipleship mm-hmm. as a kind of a different category. Yeah, we or basically just using it synonymously. Okay, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, just forming people and yep, trying to yep. form people in the image of Christ. Um, Five years ago, there was nothing related to adult education, and so we just came in. I had a blank slate. Small, gr- small groups only. It's small groups only. They made a shift. Uh, about seven years ago to a small group only model. Because again, you got to remember the story. It was Matt Chandler only, or not Matt Chandler only, but 127 people on Matt. And all of a sudden, a thousand people a year, they're growing by staff. Programs get added to the calendar and all of a sudden life is just mass chaos. And they yes. said, we need to cut the, this, the church calendar this vine is just back. A, a mess, it, I'm it, guessing. It, it was unsustainable both for the staff and for the congregation. Mm. So they said, we're, we don't think we need to do home groups only forever, but we need to do them in this season. We're just cutting basically everything else. 
Uh, and they realize that, man, home groups are really great, but they overpromise and underdeliver in some categories, perhaps related to mission or education. They're really good for connecting people, practicing the, the New Testament one another's, but, yeah. but really not a lot more than that. And Matt was also realizing and seeing the stats that evangelicals have seen now for decades that we've yeah. never been more biblically literate and it's only getting worse. It's devastating, right? I mean, it, it, uh, we only keep getting worse and our philosophies of ministry largely are, are contributing to the problem that's helping us solve the problem. Yeah. And so the great thing about coming in with a blank slate is it was a blank slate. We were able to ask two questions from day one. Uh, related, these are basic kind of pedagogy questions. If you're in, if you're in uh, a teacher, you know these. Scope and sequence what must be taught and in what order do you teach it and how do you move people through a discipleship process that allows them to grow an example of this is if you're if you're involved in the public school system you have things like mathematics social studies science maybe some kind of physical education class that's the scope then you have a sequence you move from learning addition to then subtraction to then multiplication and division geometry algebra etc and one of the things that that the church has lacked is a scope and sequence of discipleship that makes sense contextually for them so we cut everything back and we said, what is our scope? We want to teach. We think that holistic discipleship includes biblical theology, systematic theology, and spiritual formation. Those are kind of the buckets that we operate in or maybe the braid that you would want to put together. I want people to not just know the Christian story but become participants in it. Mm-hmm. I want it to be their default. When they think about the realities of this world, I want the story that we find contained in the canon of the Bible to be the story that they think is the true story of the world that has not ended but they're characters in and participants in. I'm getting this from Van Hooser, right? This this kind of drama of doctrine stuff. That's exactly right. How do you imagine yourself as a character in God's play? This theodrama. Similarly, systematic theology, what would be the rules of this player? The things that are fundamentally Mm. true about God or your life. So we teach them the Apostles' Creed or our statement of faith, just giving them kind of real tangible truths of our world. And then spiritual formation, what are the habits, virtues, and disciplines that help us become better participants in this story? Are there other things outside that scope that we think are important? Yes. We're just not going to teach them. Mm. Where some of the Sunday school models failed of previous generations is they would basically allow the teacher to teach whatever they wanted to teach. A big kind of random a la carte sort of a deal. It's kind of like a buffet. And so you get a scope that really doesn't have a sense of here's what we're trying to accomplish. So we we created the scope, which is three buckets, or you could think of it maybe as a braid. Uh, we, de- we never want people to think we're only doing one of them, right? Discipleship mm. models that get really, really biblical but aren't theological or forming you spiritually aren't helpful or vice, uh, you know, any of the specific strands or buckets. Yeah. So we kind of want people to think of this as a braid. We're always doing all three together. And then we also thought about a sequence. Another problem with other education models, like a Sunday school model, is you leave people at the same level of education for perhaps 40 or 50 years. Yeah. It's the same Sunday school teacher teaching the same level of information. And so what was helpful for me in my discipleship in the seminary was, okay, I have entry-level classes and then, you know, 101, then 201, then 301, then a PhD, and then a research project Mm -hmm. because I was growing. So we had to think about in the church, how do you move somebody who just became a Christian to maybe eventually being an elder or pastor someday? And if you keep giving them the same level of education, they'll never grow. Mm. And so we created different environments, some that were very, very accessible to new believers and others that would only be accessible to a select few that we said, you're a leader. Mm. God is doing something in you. And are those invite only as it is? Wow. So when when you think about the sequence of the village church, we have forums, which are for anybody at the church. The most most accessible. Yeah, we'll have two that. We're doing doing one with Ligon Duncan in a few weeks. And these are kind of TED talks. 
atonement. on steroids. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Invite the whole and congregation. And they're hosted in the come. main sanctuary. There's no homework. Yep. There's nothing. You're just going to come, enjoy. He's going to do a talk on the And atonement. by the way, anybody who's listening to this could do that kind of a thing. Easy. A form at their church, whether yeah. it's whether 100 it's people in their people church. Or, yeah. yeah. You just think of an upside-down pyramid. Yes. And it's like a funnel. This mm-hmm. is the very top level of funnel. It requires no commitment. And wide it's the entry. biggest part of the yep. yeah, wide, easy to Easy to come in. We have core classes. How many classes do you think we have? We only have three. Christian story, Christian belief, Christian formation. Biblical theology, it's our buckets. Systematic theology and spiritual formation. Wow. Giving just a super simple, very accessible, conversational uh, introductions to the faith around what is the story of the Bible? What are some basic fundamental truths in, in theology? And then what are some spiritual disciplines that will help you as a believer? And then we have uh, Bible studies. These are the one environment that are a bit different than all the other ones. Because the other ones sequence through and you kind of terminate out of them. Yeah. Bible study, you could come back to forever. We teach it at an eighth They're grade. Electives. Uh, yeah. yeah, so right now we're in Second uh, Samuel. We'll be in act. We do eleven week studies. We'll be in Acts in the spring. Jen Wilkin is on staff. She oversees all of our Bible studies, our men's, our women's, and our uh, youth Bible studies. And it's always the same curriculum. And so we did First Samuel in the and, fall, yeah, and you guys developed it yourself. We develop our own yeah. curriculum because she's just a. I mean, she's a gift. I mean, she is a phenomenal theologian. She's also wow. writing curriculum is a unique gift to have, yes. and she's very very good at it. Yes. And so that's an environment where you will never graduate from. If you want to always go back there, you can you can go back there. And then we have the training program. That's my like baby. Like when people talk further about, down in the in yeah. The, so in this the is that's the bottom. So, so you go forums, core, core classes, classes, yes, uh, Bible study, and then the training program. We'll have one more level after the training program. But the training program is basically seminary light. I tried to cut all the fat off from, and there's not a lot of fat at seminary, but there is some. And just said, what program would I have wanted when I went and talked to my pastor? Yeah. Give me a graduate level education of biblical theology, systematic theology, and spiritual formation as best you can in one year. Yeah. And so we've got a 36 week so curriculum. The, the, the vision of that would then be the, you know, the 22 year old guy or gal that says, I want to serve the church, train me to do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I can afford seminary yet. I'm not yes. sure if I want to go. It kind of gives you a toe in the water, a foot in the water. Maybe, maybe you'll find this interesting. And so it's uh, it's uh, thirty plus weeks. We bring in external speakers. We've brought in uh, Jonathan Pennington and others. So we're trying to bring experts in, expose them to primary sources. They read Calvin. They read Boving. They read Edwards. They read Irenaeus. They read Athanasius. Right. They read uh, they read massive portions of Scripture. They have a s- Scripture memory assignments. They have evangelism assignments. They they have to tell the story of the Bible in twenty minutes. Like it's a very intense. In, especially over the course of 30 some weeks. It's a very, very intense class. And we're now at the end of year four and we'll have over a thousand graduates at the end of this oh, year. Right. And it's just exploded. My wife is in it this year oh, and her so testimony, great. it would have been bad if this went bad for me. <laughs> like if she's like, it's okay. Uh, she just <laughs> she's loved, loved it. it. She just loved it. And you and do it at night. You offer the courses at offer night. Offer at night, yeah. And so it's accessible. And so this is another point. Doing theological education in the church, at least in our tradition, has afforded... Uh, women to be invited into conversations yes. that they haven't been invited into for a Wonderful. long time. And so it's providing great. access to now seminary in an affordable way. And also say this too, they're almost always better than the guys are <laughs> 10 times out of 10. And here's why right. it's not because they're more intelligent though. They might be. It's actually because they understand what they're being given and having never had access to a rich meal like this, they're devouring it. They're serious. Men think they should be invited to the conversation simply because we're men. Women always have to have their A game on if they want to be invited to the the theological dialogue. And they come and they run circles around our guys. And I I tell our guys. I I don't doubt it. They do. And and here's the thing. Our church is healthier and better for it because they're now contributing as our sisters to the theological dialogue. They're helping us see things in the Bible that I can't see. Right. Where do you see things going with the Village Institute over the next kind of sketch it out next 
couple years. So after the training program, we have one more thing called a residency. That's probably where we're building the most right now. We have two tracks. We have a ministry track and a marketplace track. The only way you get into the residency is if you've done the core classes, you've done the training program, you've done our Bible studies, and now you get invited into the residency. Mm. We've got about six six people in our ministry residency, six in our marketplace residency, and we're inviting our executive leaders and our future elders, our future deacons, business and marketplace leaders that are in the life of the church and trying to give them kind of a faith and work understanding. Who all feeds into this? Is it just, will it Only just? our members right now. Okay. And if, it, if there is like a, a, a church that, that, uh, that is close by that we can help research, like there, there's been pastors who've said, I'm trying to get through an MDiv. Can I come do this? Like, absolutely. If we can help. Yeah. But what we don't want to do is become a seminary. Mm. Right. Because I actually believe it this. Wants, you want I to believe be your local church. I believe there is a qualitative difference when you're not kind of a nonprofit serving lots of churches, I think there's a qualitative, like a seminary or a Bible college. Mm-hmm. Again, I praise God for those. They are needed in the life of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of the American church and the global church. But there is something that's different mm. when you're doing theology with your own church. At the local level. At the local highly level. Highly contextualized. Highly contextualized. Highly relational. And, and saying, we, you're not just learning theology. I need you to contribute to theology. You're yeah. not consumers. You're contributors. Mm-hmm. The first theological task is to listen, but the next is to speak. And so we're asking them, speak into how we're doing theology contextually in the life of the church, and they're doing it. For f- folks that are listening that are resonating with this vision that you're laying out and are like, yes, 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 I want to— I want to do, do that at my church. Yes, I want to do something like that. How do you encourage them? What do you say? How, how can they move forward in yeah. pursuing this kind of a vision? Uh, the first is this is not about what we do. It's more about who we are. You just have a way of being in the life of the church. I wouldn't. I would not build the Village Church Institute the same way if I was at a different church. This is highly contextualized. This made sense for our church in the season at this time, yeah. given the resources. Given, given the, the resources we have, this is this was this is what faithfulness looked like to us. Great. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of ways to do this, and if I was at a different church, I'd probably do it differently. So think really strategically and contextually about what your congregation needs. Maybe the buckets that you need are different. Maybe the sequence that you yeah. need is different. But I would say there's three things I would have you think about. The first is. What would be the scope of what you'd offer? And maybe it's just, maybe you're just thinking about these 10 people that you really want to raise up. Mm-hmm. What do they need in order to grow as holistic disciples of Jesus? Do they need Bible, theology, spiritual formation, ecclesiology in particular? Maybe, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. You think about what is the scope of discipleship of your church? Then think about sequence. How are you going to carry these people along, whether it's a brand new believer or somebody you're thinking about as an elder candidate? What kind of curriculum can you develop? to have somebody grow in their maturity, to move from addition and subtraction to division and multiplication, if that analogy makes sense. Mm -hmm. And finally, this is the one that I learned on the job. I thought that people would come for great content. Mm -hmm. They don't. People come for a solid philosophy of ministry that is structured, that has predictability, that asks them to be accountable to something, and that affords them community. Great. Word. I had not thought about that. I thought if I just crush lectures, yeah. people are going to come. This, if this class is just really, really good. Everything else in their life is giving them structure. It's giving them predictability. It's asking them to set to, to meet a certain standard. It's involving them in community. So why wouldn't the church? But so often the church opts for more organic forms of ministry, yeah. which we think is going to provide people freedom, but it actually gives them slavery sometimes because it never says what we're asking of them, right? It's just kind of, yeah, mushiness yeah. at least. It's just kind of, and again, I'm, organic forms of ministry work really, really well when there are also structured forms of ministry, yeah. but when there aren't, it really struggles. Uh, and another one that we don't talk about often is 
is do the administrative work excellently. Mm. <laughs> Just be really, really good at your job. Mm. If let's not kind of live up to the model of we're really good at theology and really bad at being nice yes. people <laughs> or really bad at, <laughs> right. you know, at, 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 like if we're going to give grades back, I've never, gonna, I've never met any people right, like that. Right. We're going to give grades back. Like we, and on time. If, if I'm going to ask you to do what you said you're going to do, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Marvelous. And if I, cause if I don't, I know you're not going to. So we're holding each other to this standard of accountability. This has been a fabulous so conversation, fun. brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've left a ton of stuff on the table. We're okay. going to have you back for another. Will you come Anytime. back for another podcast? Anytime. Fantastic. Anytime. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 